Welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is the Andrew Lawton Show, brought to you by True North. Coming up, an in-depth and wide-ranging interview with independent Ontario MPP and Conservative leadership candidate Roman Baffert. The Andrew Lawton Show starts right now. Hello and welcome to another edition of The Andrew Lawton Show, Canada's most irreverent talk show here on True North on Friday, March 18th, the day after St. Patrick's Day. So I hope you are, well, well, if you celebrated, I hope you were able to wake up this morning without any issues or that if you did, it was all worth it. In any case, we are going to have another one of our in-depth chats with a conservative leadership candidate today. As I mentioned, we're going to, as leadership candidates declare, send them invitations to come on the show. So far, we have spoken to three of them. So if you'd like to go back and check out my interviews with Jean Charest, with Leslin Lewis, or with Pierre Polyev, you can do that over at tnc.news. Today, it is my pleasure to have on Roman Baber, who's an independent member of the provincial parliament in Ontario, elected in 2018 and was summarily expelled from the PC caucus by Premier Doug Ford over a very strong disagreement, we'll say, about uh, the Doug Ford government's handling of COVID response. We'll get to all of that and more. Roman Baber joins me now. Roman, good to talk to you. Thanks very much for coming on today. Good to be with you, Andrew. Now, I mentioned just very briefly in my introduction there that uh, you have had uh, quite an interesting trajectory in the last few years. You ran as a PC MPP in 2018, the same election in which I also did that. We had slightly different fates. You won, I lost. But uh, ultimately, you took a a very strong stand against the PC government's handling of the COVID response and have continued to speak up against vaccine mandates, vaccine passports, uh, and so on. And here you are as an independent. Now, Let me ask you why you want to now take what you've done and try to be the prime minister, run for the leadership of the federal conservatives. I think that over the last couple of years, I've demonstrated courage and leadership to say what I believe and to say what is necessary in defense of Canadians. Um, I'm very concerned about the state of Canada's democracy, the travel restrictions, the uh, limits on mobility, the censorship, the federal mandates that are actually evolving. And I'm of the view that I'm best positioned to speak on these issues authentically, uh, restore Canada's democracy, and I'm also very passionate about Canada's opportunity. Uh, I'm an immigrant to Canada. I came from uh, the former Soviet Union and then Israel, and at age 15 to the writing I represent right now, and I've had every opportunity to work, to study, to succeed, Um, and I'm concerned that this Canadian opportunity is now being eroded. When you look at your value add, what you want to bring to the table here as leader of the Conservatives, uh, what is it specifically? Because obviously the stand you've described is one that a lot of people would resonate with, but the issues that people are going to be confronting and are confronting are more complex than the issues that you've become, I think, most known for championing in the last two years. So what is it that you want to bring? What's the overall vision? Well, I think I'm best suited to Conservative Party of Canada because of my values and, and outlook on the world. Um, I am, as I said, I'm concerned about the fact that we no longer respect basic fundamental freedoms and rights, not just in abstention, not just in absence uh, of COVID, but just in everyday life. And that primarily manifests itself through speech. Uh, Canadians are afraid to speak out. I'm of the view that the disaster being the COVID response that we've endured in the last couple of years uh, primarily resulted uh, from honest professionals like myself 
from being un unable to articulate a sensible view as to whether our COVID response makes sense. It's a very serious infection. Uh, we know, however, who it attacks and we know that most of the risk is in congregate homes. So why lock down 15 million Ontarians or 36 million Canadians and make them sick? Um, unfortunately, regulatory institutions, governments, uh, places of, of uh, business engaged in, in this cancel culture that thwarted any sensible discussion. I think that I will appeal to a lot of folks that left our party during the last election by uh, attracting them back and effectively apologizing that the Conservative Party did not stand up for them against passports and mandates. I will speak to the social conservative wing of the party by respecting democratic conservatism. My caucus will always entertain diversity of opinion. I will not have any litmus test for who can run for the Conservative Party of Canada. And uh, I'll also uh, hope to speak to our friends in the West by having a very uh, robust energy policy. Now, when you say no litmus test for who can run for the Conservative Party, th this raises, I think, a an identity question for the Conservatives, because we've seen certainly in Ontario PC politics, leaders get very heavily involved in, in who candidates are, appointments versus nominations. But when you take that blank slate approach, do you not risk diluting what your party is if it becomes a party that anyone and everyone, regardless of who they are and what they represent, could run for it? Look, I think that uh, members of parliament serve their constituents. They don't work for the leader. Uh, they don't work for the party. They work for the people that elected them. And you have to have faith that, that local members of the party, that local conservatives or people that want to join the conservative party to shape the nomination, um, espouse the values that, that we all do. But we have more that you, than unites us as conservatives than divides us. Uh, we all agree. That, that we must respect Canada's democracy. We agree that we need to restore faith in government. We agree that we that free enterprise is, is a pillar and, and property rights are a pillar of democracy. We agree that uh, we, we want to, to, for the most part, that we have to develop Canadian energy because it's not just in the strategic interest of our country, but, but also in, in the economic interest of our country. And so I think that we have a lot that unites us, but I myself suffered from a deficit of democracy within a caucus. When I articulated a, a fair, sensible, polite position to the Premier of Ontario on, on some of the greatest uh, difficulty that our generation has ever faced, I was asked to leave caucus. And, and that cannot happen because foreclosing or preventing diversity of opinion is not just bad for public policy, it's bad for our democracy. When you look at the spectrum that exists within the Conservative Party of Canada. We often hear the line, the big blue tent, and you've got your libertarians, your social conservatives, your rural conservatives, your uh, any form of conservative or centrist uh, really can be under that. And, and the party takes great pride in that. Where do you see yourself personally in that? Because a lot of people outside of Ontario might not be familiar with you. Where do you place yourself in that big blue tent? Andrew, I, I think the the description democratic conservative fits that most because that description would encompass all the other spectrums and welcome all other spectrums that you speak of folks generally know that on economic issues and and on um foreign affairs matters i i come from what you would refer to as the blue side of the party on social issues however uh, i've always been on record that i don't believe that government has a role in, in telling people how to start their family or how to grow their family. I'm also pro-medical choice. That's why 
uh, even though I'm voluntarily vaccinated, I, I have opposed vaccine passports, vaccine mandates. I brought a I brought legislation um, to to the provincial parliament to outlaw mandates, which the conservative, which the Doug Ford Progressive Conservative Party voted down on second reading. Um, and and so I'm I'm in favor of people making their own medical decisions. Uh, so you, those those can coexist. At the same time, I would welcome social conservatives by respecting their democratic rights to, to run and contest nominations, to introduce legislation. Who am I, even as a leader of a party, to, or, or as, as the leader of the party in the House, to, to tell a member of parliament that their sacred right to introduce legislation is usurped? No way. Uh, libertarian conservatives, I've always been in favor of choice. It, it works both ways. And all, all of that goes back, Andrew, to democracy, to respecting our choices and respecting our views. When you look at how you can best make an impact in politics, I, I have to raise this question, which I didn't even notice, but uh, someone pointed it out to me that your launch video uh, that you released, I think it was last week, uh, looked like it was filmed in the fall, actually. So several months before we knew there was an opening in the conservative leadership race. And I, I had heard rumblings, perhaps you can speak one way or another, that you were uh, planning on, on forming some provincial political party or, or running as an independent. Uh, what were your initial plans and, and what made you change your mind to seek the federal conservative leadership? So, of course, for throughout the last year, I've entertained the prospect of running as an independent. And uh, I, had, um, I had a film crew for, for a day or two, and they said, Roman, why don't we record your main political video. This was in the fall. And we went in front of my old high school, the William Lyon McKenzie High School, which is a block away from where I'm seated right now uh, in the very district that welcomed me as an immigrant. And we recorded this political video. Uh, but I um, so we will have an announcement shortly on um, in, in the near future on my future in provincial politics as an independent. But I I regard this as a very unique moment, not just for our party, but our country. Uh, I'm very concerned that we have never been down this road. What, when Justin Trudeau says that he respects China's basic democracy, I'm concerned that he's in fact fulfilling partially some of his vision towards this. And uh, I think that as someone that was born in, in fact, the former Soviet Union and is familiar with the way that dictatorial uh, regimes work, uh, that I must do everything in my power to uh, advocate and preserve Canada's democracy. I think we do have to speak to some extent about your plans provincially, though, because the uh, provincial election scheduled in June and the federal conservative leadership won't be wrapped up in, until September. So, uh, sh like, is there anything you can say about what your plans are? Because I, I know that some people would not take too kindly if you were running again for one office while seeking another office. But I also understand people need to have their options open. Andrew, I, I appreciate your uh, desire to break some news, and uh, I, I'm, I'm very respectful of that. Um, we will have, um, uh, we will make our intention provincially clear uh, over the next week or two, but I want to assure your viewers that I am all in, in the race to lead the Conservative Party of Canada. This is the greatest honor of my life. Uh, I have always been a Conservative, and I love my party and I love my country. I have a lot to contribute to this race. You know, I'm very concerned as we're coming out of COVID that especially as we have so much going on around the world that uh, folks will forget very quickly what transpired in the last couple of years. I'm not running on lockdowns. I'm running on the culture and the ideology and the public policy decision-making that brought it about. 
And I'm concerned that uh, some of the purveyors of lockdowns and passports will say all of the methods that were employed on us, that they worked, the censorship, the segregation, the, the misrepresentation of data, that cannot stay. We have to be very unequivocal in, in disputing it, in putting it to rest, so nothing like this can ever happen again. There have been a few casualties of a culture in the PC party of Ontario, like yourself, that uh, for speaking up have, have paid the price by being expelled from caucus or marginalized in some other way. There's uh, you, there's Rick Nichols, there's Belinda Carajalios, there's Randy Hillier. Now, he was expelled earlier uh, pre-COVID. But one thing I've noticed is that all of you ha have been talking about very similar things in the last year, but you've been doing it very differently. And, and I think all of you now have been uh, identifying with different parties parties as you do that. And, and I'm wondering why there hasn't been unity in what should be and what you've described as a unifying message, even within the, if I can call you the dissident MPPs in Ontario. I can't, hard for me to speak to that, Andrew, but, but maybe that, that goes to the point that when you approach this COVID question and when you approach the lockdowns and passports, I think that it's incumbent on us to articulate a moderate and sensible position. I don't need to convince you or your viewers or, or Belinda or, or anyone else for that matter. We are speaking to moderates. We're speaking to independents. We're speaking to people that are unsure about some of the public policy that, that goes on around us. And so since I was removed from caucus after speaking out against the lockdowns in, uh, in January of 2021, I have taken a very, very moderate and sensible approach to COVID. COVID is a very serious infection. It affects those primarily with metabolic conditions and, and those with uh, serious comorbidities. Most of the risk is in congregate settings, particularly in long-term care homes. So we need to do everything possible to protect those settings while not hurting, not inflicting the collateral damage that uh, lockdowns have. And, and so instead of trying to, to break through a wall, a, a very difficult conversation, I try to wedge day by day through sensible, uh, evidence-based persuasion. And so I, I think maybe in my case, it was it was mostly a matter of style. Same with passports and, and mandates in the vaccine. Um, a, a lot of folks, uh, particularly those in, in higher age categories, uh, wanted to and should have availed themselves of the protection of the vaccine. And, and, and that is fine. But we are, we can certainly say with confidence that we should, regardless of the science, we should never make anyone do anything against their will. And that is a sensible position that I hope to articulate, uh, not just to conservatives, but to Canadians. Well, and it shouldn't be a controversial one. I, I mean, when I was covering the trucker convoy the very first weekend, one of the signs that stood out, at, uh, and the woman I, I interviewed her who was holding the sign was, uh, she, her sign said, BIPOC, fully vaxxed, pro-choice. And there was a message there that was beautiful in its simplicity. If I'm vaccinated, that doesn't mean I think you should have to be. And we've lost that as a society. So when you talk about freedom, when you talk about choice, how do you break those messages through to a society that at times in the last two years hasn't really wanted to embrace choice and freedom in that way? So articulating the phrase freedom or, or democracy in and of itself is insufficient because we know, uh, and, and I love the Charter very much, and I, in fact, instruct uh, a little bit on the Charter, uh, that the rights prescribed in the Charter are limited to a distinctly reasonable extent. 
And so a lot of the opposition will say, but wait a minute, uh, Section 1 would limit uh, such choice. And so this is not just an argument of choice versus abridgment of choice. There's also a scientific argument here. And we have to be confident in the face of uh, cancel culture, in the face of very difficult media, to, to speak about the science as long as we do it sensibly and credibly. A couple of weeks ago, about a month ago, the Chief Medical Officer of Health said that two doses of the vaccine offer minimal protection against infection. That means that the risk of infection is roughly the same, and that takes away any argument that a vaccinated person is less likely to transmit the virus because their risk of infection is lower. That is now off the table. The risk of transmission is the same between those that are vaccinated and those that are not, and that means that no one's putting anyone else at risk. I did not articulate anything controversial right now. I relied on, on the medical officer's evidence in support of the proposition against a hateful proposition that anyone's putting anyone at risk. We haven't been doing that enough. Yelling freedom is, is, is on and on its own is not enough. We have to have the courage to have the scientific conversation as well. One of the big problems that we've seen from governments at the federal and provincial levels is the weaponization of, of science. And, and a lot of the uh, same so the same data to different people are showing very different conclusions. And, and it's interesting how cherry picking uh, the government, uh, how the government has resorted to cherry picking a lot. And I look at the travel mandates as a great example of this. The federal government's own expert panel said hotel quarantine doesn't work. And they said, no, 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 we're, we're listening to the science. And I'm thinking, well, the, the science you hired just told you it, it doesn't work. So how do you, again, I, I go back to the communication question because you, you've expressed this as a value that you hold of being able to communicate in, in a clear way to people on this. How do you break through the fear that a lot of people have because they believe the science has told them to be fearful? Well, it, it goes back to expression and it, it goes back to the fact that we should resist in any way possible, any temptation to foreclose on fair discussion and speech. Bill C-10, that's currently before Parliament, uh, may in fact abridge not just what some objective uh, folks would deem uh, hateful speech, even though that's a very loaded term. Google has suggested to uh, the federal government that inadvertently fair and, and sensible and accurate opinion and scientific opinion may also be swept in this web of censorship. So the best thing we can do is listen to all perspectives, whether you're in management or you're in politics or you're coaching a sports team. When you hear more opinion, you have less blind spots and you have a greater baseline for decision making. And it's very, very unfortunate that we're now subjected to, to this ideology, and I believe this is a radical left-wing ideology that, that believes that it's, it's holier than thou, and anyone that disagrees with it must come from a bad place, and, and <clears throat> typically they impute motive <clears throat> or they impute evil, and, and that's just not right. We have to uh, articulate that we are kind, we are well-meaning, we love our country, we love our fellow man. I did not oppose lockdowns because I wanted to compromise lives. I opposed lockdowns because I wanted to save lives because I felt that access to healthcare was compromised and our mental health was catastrophic. Mm -hmm.
Yeah, that's a very fair point. I'm glad you brought up Bill C-10 because there were two bills that I I thought were tremendously dangerous that were introduced in the last parliament. One was C-10, which vastly expanded the government's regulatory purview over the internet, including potentially to this show. Uh, And the other was Bill C-36, which would amend the Human Rights Act to put uh, hate speech back in, but with a definition of hate that is very subjective. And that's the point, because everyone listening would say, well, yes, of course I'm against hate. We all are. And those two combined, uh, basically allowing government and big tech to collaborate in zapping people's online content, had a lot of people resting uneasy. And I was mortified by how the Conservative Party of Canada, which did oppose C-10, the regulatory bill, was silent on Bill C-36. Aaron O'Toole did not say a word about it until I asked him about it in the election, and he gave a a very wishy-washy answer. Now, just to put it on the record, you're saying that you will resist and oppose any censorship bills. Absolutely. Not not only that, we have to, uh, we, we have a criminal record framework sorry, a criminal uh, code framework, which essentially suggests that there's a very clear line on speech. And that is when, God forbid, it may result, lead to violence or seem to incite violence. And, And that line has been defied for a reason. Because as governments of the day change, their perspective on what's right or wrong changes. And so we don't know what governments will be thinking what what popular culture will be thinking 5, 10, 20 years from now to to deem hateful. So that's very, very important. Second of all, we have the freedom. We don't have the freedom against being offended. And that is very, very important. We have to be able to analyze situations and try and call it fairly. And that's what I think C-36 would do is that it would essentially prohibit an opinion that Justin Trudeau might find objectionable. And that is contrary to democracy. It is contrary to the values of our country. What happened to classical liberal values, such as I I might disagree with you, but I will defend your right to articulate your opinion. Um, I'm very saddened, and that is probably the main reason why I'm in this race. Well, and you've spoken very openly about your background uh, growing up in in the Soviet Union. You know what it's like to live in an unfree country. And I I don't like making comparisons between democratic countries and uh, dictatorships of various kinds, because I do find that they're very simplistic. But the point that I would bring that around to is that you understand what freedom is in a way that a lot of people might not. So how does that color your view in, in Canada as a legislator and now as a prospective conservative leader and prospective prime minister? Andrew, it shapes a lot of what I think and what I do. And almost every decision is based on, on my perspective that you always have to err on the side of freedom of democracy. And I think it's, I also make, the, I also hesitate to, to make that comparison. But we have witnessed a number of remarkable similarities, even in the Doug Ford government, and I'm on record, I have a member statement uh, comparing Doug Ford, some of the Doug Ford government actions to that of a communist regime. For instance, uh, when Doug Ford imposed a requirement on, on private business to hang a political speak, uh, sticker, even though it's about the carbon tax, which I oppose, but when you force a small business to, to hang political speech on, on its door, or in this case on the pump, That's something that you expect of undemocratic regimes. 
when you kick out members. That's that's something you expect of, for their views. That's something you expect of undemocratic regimes. We saw uh, Dean French try to engage in, in the former chief of staff in certain patronage appointments. I think there was, a, I think a family member of, of a spouse or or maybe a, a friend of, of his son. That is something, nepotism of that sort is something that you expect of undemocratic regimes. When you pass the Crown Liability Proceedings Act that helps the government shield itself from liability, uh, that is something you expect of undemocratic and, and being able to hold itself accountable in court. That is something you expect out of undemocratic regimes. When you when you change Bill 218 for families of, of victims, uh, of those that regretfully died in long-term care homes, and you change the standard of negligence in the middle of, of the court case, not before the court case, but in the middle of the case, retroactively, that is undemocratic. And so I think we have to be confident in calling it out because we should not entertain the slope, slippery slope that we're on. I want to go through just a, a couple of somewhat rapid fire policies here just to get your take on them. You mentioned the carbon tax, your opposition, unequivocal, no carbon tax whatsoever, or would you replace it with something else? So I don't think that uh, taxing Sally 10 bucks at the gas pump or, or uh, inflating everything else uh, potentially by, by imposing a, a broad carbon tax is going to do anything. Um, sorry, to, to move global temperatures. I, I'm very passionate about Canadian energy and Canadian natural resources. I think that they're a blessing. And I think that we should not hesitate to develop energy locally and, and not just uh, oil and gas, but also mining and, and precious metals that are very, very scarce now around the world. Uh, I would like Canada to become completely energy independent. And I would like us to develop our energy uh, we'll do it better and cleaner than probably anywhere else in the world. It's going to be better for the planet, and it's certainly going to be better for our bottom line. Firearms. This week, the Liberal government extended the amnesty period for the, the guns they banned in, in May of 2020 to October 2023. So there still is a, a fair bit more time before the government will try to confiscate or, or as they say, buy back guns they banned. What's your view on uh, the restrictions that Justin Trudeau has put in place on, on firearms and, and where would you go with them? So this is this is not an issue that uh, is my forte, to be honest. I'm a I'm a 416 resident. I I live in the city of Toronto. We 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 should be somewhat more mindful of the fact that a lot of urban centers uh, do not understand or or may not share some of the uh, elements of the Conservative Party's views on on weapons. Nonetheless, I I do not think that we should force anyone to give up anything that they lawfully owned. I don't think that we should be curtailing the rights of lawful gun owners. Uh, instead, we should be thinking about how to encourage law enforcement and, and communities to deal with uh, rising crime in urban centers. And, and those are generally um, not, those type of scenarios are, are not led to by lawful gun owners, but by unlawful guns. So I think what I would like to do here when it comes to gun policy is to try to bridge the gap. I think we have to be speaking more to urban conservatives. Um, it's, it's the only way we're going to form government. And so perhaps conversation and education is in order on both sides. 
The media bailout, $600 million, the federal government earmarked for press and also CBC funding, I think $1.3 billion a year. Uh, what, what, what are those line items looking like in your budget as prime minister? You asked me about uh, living in the Soviet Union, and I remember a newspaper called Pravda. The, the translation of Pravda means truth. And I remember it was hanging on all walls and, and on, on street kiosks, etc. And I don't believe that government should be subsidizing a news outlet because that's an apparent conflict of interest. It, it negates fair and objective and independent journalism. So while I appreciate the CBC's contribution to arts and culture, I would get CBC out of the news business. I will not fund any, any news on the CBC. Uh, with respect to media bailout generally, I think I was clear. I think it undermines the principle of independent media. But I'm also very concerned about advertising money. Um, we're seeing uh, on some outlets, the, the major outlets, the ones that are in fact very, very proud of, of not taking any of the bailout money are actually very big beneficiaries of, of some of government policy by way of ad space. And it went from COVID and, and safety advertising to uh, uh, vaccination advertising. Uh, and now it's it's basic government advertising, and it's not just on on TV. It's on the radio. It's on the internet. It's on highways. I live in a condominium in in North Toronto. When I go down the elevator, I see an ad paid by the taxpayers about how Ontario's economy is growing stronger. Doug Ford is paying using your money and my money for an ad in my elevator to tell me that under him. The economy is getting stronger. I think we need to review uh, the way that government pays for ads. And that is something that, in fact, the, the progressive conservatives in Ontario uh, were very much against. And it's very regretful that they broke their promise. Just in closing here, Roman, you talked earlier about cancel culture and your own experience in Ontario politics. In the last federal conservative leadership race, uh, there was a, a notable disqualification, Jim Carahalios. The federal conservatives also kicked uh, Derek Sloan out of caucus, who had been a leadership candidate not long later. Uh, you've been outspoken. Are you confident that you will be approved or have you had any indication from the party uh, so far about where you might stand in the application process? Um, I will not, uh, I'm, I'm not prepared to discuss anything that relates to, to this process specifically as it was with respect to myself. Um, I'm hopeful that everything will be okay. I think that it's important to recognize that the Conservative Party of Canada has now come around to my position. It took them uh, almost two years uh, to, to come around and say, look, uh, lockdowns were probably not a good idea, even though we haven't heard too much of that. But certainly passports and mandates are not a good idea. So I think the party must recognize that it should embrace a conservative that was willing at a risk to themselves to speak about this early. Um, and also, I, I think back to the point that I've articulated in the beginning of this interview, it's important that we uh, recognize the differences in our opinion. And essentially what I've done is articulated a sensible, moderate and polite opinion and I think that uh, that is something that we should encourage in our candidates. Sensible, moderate, and polite. Not normally the words we hear from politicians, but I, I think there's something to that. Roman Baber, Independent Ontario MPP and Conservative Leadership Candidate. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Andrew.
That was Roman Babber, former PC MPP, now an independent MPP in Ontario. I always forget Ontario is the only province with MPPs. So if you're elsewhere, he's an MLA or an MNA, or I always forget what the Newfoundland one is. I want to say it's MHA. MHA in Newfoundland? I think so. Uh, we'll edit it out if I'm wrong. <laughs> in any case, hope you all enjoyed that. We will, as I mentioned, talk to all the conservative leadership candidates who will come on the program. So I do hope you pay attention to this series. We'll talk to you in a couple days time with more of Canada's most irreverent talk show. Thank you. God bless and good day to you all. Thanks for listening to the Andrew Lawton Show. Support the program by donating to True North at www.tnc.news.